So if you'd like to um, turn to page 1142, <clears throat> and we're reading from Romans chapter 15, beginning at verse 14. So that's page 1142, Romans chapter 15. I myself am, am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written to you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by, by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem all the way round to Illyricum I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through, and that you will assist me on my journey there after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Caia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying to God for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there 
so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. Good evening. It's really good to be with you all again. Thanks for such a warm welcome today. It's been great to get to know some of you as the days unfolded. Uh, Please open your Bibles to Romans uh, 15. I'll keep them open, hopefully. Just been reading that together. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to tackle this question this evening. What does it take to preach the gospel where Christ is not known? Let's pray together. Father, we do praise you that you are the Lord of all the earth. We thank you that as we grapple this evening with some challenging truths, uh, that you are the one who is at work in our world to ensure that the gospel does go in Jesus' name to all nations. Thank you that as we feel our own weakness, we are reminded of your power. So we pray that again our confidence tonight would be not in ourselves but in you, and that you would uh, humble us before your word this evening, pray you might change our hearts, soften them, pray you'd encourage us and challenge us, and help us to be those who are ready to listen to your voice as you lead and direct in our lives, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2,000 years after Jesus looked out among the crowds and saw people lost like sheep without a shepherd, we can look around our world today and see the harvest is still plentiful and the workers are still few. In the Republic of Ireland, there are 50 towns with no evangelical church. In Indonesia, where we used to serve, there are 37 people groups where no one has yet gone with a plan to plant the church. The largest has a population about twice that of Brighton and Hove. In northern Yemen, where there are about 8 million people, there are, um, that's the same population as Scotland and Wales combined, 8 million people. There are perhaps only 20 or 30 believers. Not 20 or 30 churches, not even 20 or 30 small groups, but 20 or 30 believers, 8 million people. This evening we're thinking from God's Word about what is involved in reaching places like that. What does it take to preach the gospel where Christ is not known? But before we get to that question directly, I want to say something that's important to be said on an occasion like today. You know, you have your mission awareness Sunday, no doubt at least once a year, maybe more often, I don't know. What happens? You get the visiting missionary speaker in, they tell you all, what are you doing sitting in Brian and Hove? If you're good Christians, you'd already be somewhere else. Because of course, surely if you're really spiritual, you'd be a missionary by now. I'm not going to say that this evening, obviously. It's not what the Bible says. Here in Romans 15 and verse 20, we read these following famous verses. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Even in this verse, talking about pioneering mission, there's an implication. There are two places where you can preach the gospel. You can preach the gospel where Christ is not known, that Paul is speaking of here, But you can also preach the gospel where Christ is already known, where the church is already established. Both are good things to do. Both are valid things to do. Both are needed. Now, of course, in this passage, Paul is emphasizing the first. He's talking about his great ambition to preach where Christ has never been made known. He doesn't want to focus on where the church is already established, but some people will need to. It's essential, non-negotiable in the Christian life. Paul himself makes that crystal clear just a few pages on into 1 Corinthians chapter 3. No need to turn there necessarily right now, but in 1 Corinthians 3 we read Paul is preaching 
where the gospel is not yet known. Apollos is preaching off the back of what Paul has done in a place where the gospel is known. This is what we read in 1 Corinthians 3. What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. Verse 9, he goes on. By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as a wise builder and someone else is building on it. They're the two kinds of ministry. But each one should build with care for no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Paul is saying when it comes to gospel ministry, when it comes to making disciples among the nations, when it comes to sharing the gospel, whether it's in a new place or an existing place, what is of primary importance are the foundations we're building on. Are we building on Jesus and his good news or not? As Paul then speaks here in Romans 15 about what we might call pioneer mission or frontier mission, taking the gospel where it's never been preached before, seeing the church planted where it's never been established before, to use the words of Christopher Ashe, he's not saying this kind of ministry is compulsory for everyone, but he's saying it is absolutely necessary for some. Can we see that? This task of preaching the gospel where Christ is not known, it is not essential for everyone, but it is absolutely necessary for some. It needs to happen. It has to happen. And that, of course, friends, will have some very specific implications for some and some more general implications for all. So let's come back then to our big question this evening. What is involved in preaching the gospel where Christ is not known? Two things for us in our passage. First is this, all about gospel ambition. If the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known, we need to see some gospel ambition in our lives and in our churches. Yes, we see ambition everywhere, don't we, around us. Sometimes that ambition is a bit misplaced. We have the lovely phrase in the English language, that's a bit ambitious. It means it's never going to happen. It's kind of the opposite of good ambition, isn't it? Some ambition is misplaced. But then in life we also see a more raw or determined kind of ambition, don't we? It's caricatured in programs like The Apprentice, the business reality TV show. Maybe some of you are watching the new series that's just begun. Here's what one contestant said two or three years ago. She was called Bianca Miller. She said, I regret not becoming a scientist so I could clone myself and become more successful in half the time. It's all a bit crass, isn't it? I guess these guys are playing to the cameras, aren't they? They're trying to make a, make a name for themselves. But that, that underlying sentiment, that raw sense of ambition is there in so many of us, isn't it? It's there in so many of us. The whole system, if you think about it, the whole system and culture around us here in the UK, it drives us in that direction. It starts from the earliest of ages. Not just here in the UK. In Indonesia, at our kids' school, an Indonesian school with an English slogan, which was this, dream, believe, achieve. That's like the Disney version of ambition, isn't it? If you have good enough dreams, one day they'll all come true if you only work hard enough for it. Now again, like this morning, we shouldn't get too, too cynical as we talk about ambition. There is something good, isn't there, and something very commendable about using the gifts that God has given to us to, to better ourselves, to, to use those gifts to, to solve problems, to bless other people, to make a difference. 
Yeah, if we're brutally honest, the ambitions we have too often develop into what the Bible might call a selfish ambition. And the dreams and the hopes and the goals are all about me. Or in your case, they're all about you. And those goals become self-serving and self-seeking. If you know your Bibles, you know the Bible puts selfish ambition into the same category as things like jealousy and hatred. It's arrogance and slander. Selfish ambition is to be avoided at all costs, the Bible says. Yet, listen to this, you see, when Paul speaks about ambition in Romans 15, he is talking about something very different to the kind of ambition that might be popping up in our own minds. Notice in Romans 15 verse 20, Paul is not lacking in drive or motivation or focus or energy. He's got the ambition. But it's not about him. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Friends, here is what we might call a gospel ambition. It's about someone else. It's about something else. It's an ambition to see the gospel preached where it's never been preached before. An ambition to see the church established where it's never been planted before. For those who were here this morning, we were saying that in the Indonesian language, the phrase for an unreached people group is suku prabaikan, literally meaning a people ignored. Can we see Paul's ambition in life was that he would not ignore people. He would not ignore people that he preached the gospel where Christ wasn't known. You know, when I first saw ambition like this, I think I didn't even notice it. I was about ten years old and we were camping in France as a family. Mum and Dad used to pray for some missionaries. We we went to visit one of these missionary families. Small town in central France, felt like the middle of nowhere. It was a market day. I still picture the scene. The cheeses and the wines all out. The, the, uh, The fruit and the veg. And then the missionaries turn up into this market square in this little town and they come in a little van. And they stop the van at the market square and they open the side of their van to reveal this kind of mini Christian bookshop. They seem to spend the next hour or two trying to talk to the small numbers of passers-by about Jesus, trying to give out Bibles or Christian literature. Didn't seem to be screaming ambition to me. As I said a minute ago, I was about probably about 10 years old at the time probably not yet a Christian at that point, I remember thinking to myself distinctly at that time, can you imagine doing this for your job? I mean, seriously, can you imagine doing this for your job? As a 10-year-old lad, I kind of looked at those missionaries, it's almost like I pitied them. In the world's eyes, it looked absolutely pathetic. So what drove them to do something like that with their lives? What lay behind Paul's own ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known? Well, of course, for Paul, it wasn't so he could plant his flag in the sand before anyone else to claim that little bit of patch as his. No, something else drove him. Something else spurred him on to give himself to the unreached. The same something that no doubt got those missionaries out of bed in France every morning. And Paul tells us what that was there in verse 21. Take a look. Here is the motivation behind the ambition. Here is the dream. Here is the the hope, the great desire, the goal. Verse 21, rather, that is rather than building on someone else's foundation, rather than preaching where Christ is already known, rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. Isn't that an incredible motivation for this kind of gospel ambition? 
You know, friends, a selfish ambition is going to always look way more appealing than gospel ambition. The latest smart car or the Riverside Penthouse apartment advertised at the back of the weekend papers is always going to seem more aspirational than taking the van to the market in France. That's the reality. It's always going to seem more aspirational until until we see the motivation for this gospel ambition. Until we grasp or recover the joy of seeing people saved. Those who were not told about him will see. And those who have not heard will understand. We say, well, what are these people going to see all of a sudden? What are they going to understand? Well, what has Paul just been writing about in the preceding chapters of the book of Romans? They will see that a righteousness from God has been revealed. That they don't need to spend their whole lives trying and trying and trying to get back into God's good books. Dealing with the problem of guilt that's there in their hearts that they can't resolve. Now a righteousness has been revealed. They'll see that whilst they were still sinners, Jesus Christ, He died for them. They'll see whilst the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. In Jesus Christ our Lord. And they will see there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, isn't this the kind of ambition that's worth living for? Isn't this something that's worth giving yourself to? You know, the world is screaming out to you every single day, live for now, live in the moment, live for yourself. Do you feel that? Maybe those younger here this evening, the world is screaming out at you like that, isn't it? It's there all the time. What's the best thing you can do in life? Get yourself on Love Island. Find a bit of celebrity status for a year or two. That's the great ambition, isn't it? God lays out an ambition before you which is greater. And it is better. That dead people might come to life. That lost people might be found. That sinners might be set free. That those who have never seen and never understood might call on the name of the Lord and be saved. Friends, that is the kind of ambition that's worth living for, isn't it? It's this kind of ambition I read about recently on a UFM application form. The guy and his wife were preparing to serve in Central Asia in, in pioneering student ministry. He wrote this on his form. The gospel is simply brilliant news. It must be shared. I'm willing to go. Plenty are willing to stay, so I must go. How can I not offer myself for overseas missionary service? How can I not go? Notice he mentioned that overseas missionary service. Let's be clear again, okay? This kind of gospel ambition, it can be realized close to home. In fact, as we look at the kind of increasing secular agenda in the society around us, we want, we want to go further than that, don't we? We want to say this kind of gospel ambition, it must be realized close to home. Praise God for the ways it is being done here among you as a church family. Yeah, friends, we've got to see this gospel ambition is always a global ambition. This kind of ambition that rejects a little Britain approach to life that puts the blinkers on and only thinks about our own backyard. Notice the quote here in Romans 15 and verse 21. Where is it taken from? The footnote will tell you. Isaiah 52 verse 15. The servant song that speaks of the suffering and glory of God's servant, the suffering king. Here's a question. Who is in mind? Who was in mind as those words were originally written? Well, let me read the context. Isaiah 52, I'll read from verse 13. See, my servants will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted, just as there were many who were appalled at him. 
His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, and his form marred beyond human likeness. Here we go. Whose in mind as these words are written, so he will sprinkle many nations, and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, here's the quote, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Friends, can we see the prophecy of Isaiah and the letter to the Romans? They have the nations in mind. Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He's writing the letter uh, to the Romans in part because he wants them to adopt him as their mission partner. You see that later on in verses 23 and 24. Gospel ambition then is always global in scope. The whole world is in view. So I wonder, friends, which of you might make it your ambition to make the gospel known in the Republic of Ireland, in one of those towns with no evangelical church, in the least reached English-speaking nation in the world that is just 60 minutes away from Gatwick Airport on a cheap flight? Or might you make it your ambition to plant churches in those unengaged, unreached people groups of Indonesia or other countries that have similar groups in them, where there's no gospel witness and no one has ever even yet gone with a plan? to plant a church or who might commit to, to reaching the multiple immigrant communities right here on our doorstep in Brighton and Hove those communities often are neglected by many parts of society friends I wonder can we pray about these things will you commit to pray that God might from among your own number continue to send people to the least reached parts of the world will you go on praying he'll raise up, raise, raise up and continue to encourage those already doing this to to commit themselves to, to, to godly, passionate sending and supporting of gospel workers to the least reached. And will you pray that God might plant in all of us a willingness that if He calls, we'll be willing to go. And if He calls us to stay, we'll be intentional about doing that. And we'll send in a manner worthy of the Lord as we were thinking about with the kids this morning. If the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known, we need to see some gospel ambition in our lives and in our churches. Second, if the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known, we need to take some costly initiative. William Carey, sometimes known as the father of modern missions, he famously wrote these words, and I'm sure most of you have heard them, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. They're words that fit with this whole idea of gospel ambition, aren't they? But you know, like many stirring words and phrases, they are ultimately totally meaningless unless they're grounded in reality, unless they lead to something. No point in hanging on the fridge on a nice, nice looking fridge magnet or a nice Christian calendar, making us feel a bit happier about the day ahead if they don't lead to something. William Carey knew that all too well. And he also wrote the following. He said, We must not be contented, however, with praying without exerting ourselves in the use of means for the obtaining of those things we pray for. Were the children of light but as wise in their generation as the children of this world, they would stretch every nerve to gain so glorious a prize. Not ever imagine it was to be obtained in any other way. And old English there, isn't it? What's he saying? I think he's saying something like this. When it comes to reaching the lost, when it comes to preaching Christ where he isn't known, he's saying, don't just have the ambition. 
Don't just even pray about the ambition. Now, he goes on to say very clearly in verse 30, you must pray. You must struggle in prayer. Paul's saying, don't just have the ambition. Don't just pray about the ambition, but do something about the ambition. Take some initiative. Stretch every sinew in your body to see that ambition realized. And it's what Paul did. Take a look at verse 22. This, i.e. this ambition to reach the unreached, this is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. You see, Paul's ambition to reach the unreached, it caused him to take decisions. It caused him to make some plans. You read earlier on in the book of Romans that he would have loved to have gone to Rome earlier. Chapter 1, verse 11, he says he longs to see them. Chapter 1, verse 13, he's planned many times, but been prevented from doing so until now. We say, what has prevented him? Answer his gospel ambition. His desire to see the gospel preached where Christ is not known. Paul could have gone to Rome earlier. He could have preached the gospel in a place where the church was there. He could have, he could have been involved in good, valid ministry to make the point we had at the very beginning. He says back in chapter 1, verse 13, he would love to have seen a harvest among them. Yet his ambition hindered his going there, verse 22. His gospel ambition drove him elsewhere. And we see, we see where in chapter 15 and verse 19, halfway through there, so from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Paul hadn't been to Rome yet because he'd been halfway around the Mediterranean from Israel over to Albania in modern day uh, geographical terms. He'd been to all those places so the gospel could be preached where Christ isn't known. And now he's on the move again. Verse 23, he will go to Rome, he says, but only as a stopover. His ambition is taking him once again to the regions beyond, to Spain. And notice this initiative that Paul takes, this making of decisions, is a costly initiative. The journey is planning from Corinth, where he's writing probably, to Jerusalem, on to Rome, and finally to Spain. It's a sea journey of at least 3,000 miles, further if he goes by land. John Stott, in his commentary on Romans, says this about the planned journey. When one reflects on the uncertainties and hazards of ancient travel, the almost nonchalant way in which Paul announces his intention to undertake these three voyages is quite extraordinary. Did we get it? For Paul to fulfill his gospel ambition, he had to take some costly initiative. There was a price to be paid. There was a cost to be counted. There were decisions that needed to be made. It's easy in some ways on a day like today to get fired up about the concept of mission, isn't it? To be inspired by the thought of seeing the unreached reached, of seeing sinners saved, of churches established. If you're a Christian here this evening, who of us doesn't want to see those things happen? Of course we long to see those things happen. Much harder, of course, to see that ambition realised. Friends, if we're to see the gospel preached where Christ is not known today, we need to take some costly initiative. We need to make some plans. We need to take some decisions. We need to do some things at the expense of other good things. We need to do some things now which will mean other things perhaps never. And all of that comes at a cost. That's the reality. You know, we get a sense of that cost not only from Paul's own costly plans, but again from the, the context of that quote 
Uh, Romans 15 verse 21, the quote taken from Isaiah 53. We ask the question, how can the nations be sprinkled? How can those who have never been told see? How can those who have never heard understand? Answer through the suffering of God's servants. Through the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus. You read on from the quote there at the end of Isaiah 52 and you go into those famous words in Isaiah 53. How can the nations be sprinkled? Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him and by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Friends, I hope this is the Saviour we all follow this evening. The one who went to the cross to take upon himself the punishment our sin deserved. The one who rose to new life and is alive today. The one who one day will come back from heaven to earth to judge our world rightly and justly. If you trust in this Jesus, this is the Saviour that you follow. A suffering servant. See friends, if we're to realise our gospel ambition, if we're to make it our priority to preach the gospel where Christ is not known, there are some big decisions before us, aren't there? What might this costly initiative look like? What might it look like for you as a church? As a family of believers? Well, praise God, it looked like many of the things you've been doing for many, many years already. The relentless year-on-year equipping of believers, loving them, sharing your lives with them, building relationships with them, opening your homes to them in order one day to send them and to say goodbye. Some of you have been involved in that kind of ministry for years. It comes at a cost, doesn't it? You feel the cost. Keep going in that good work if that is you. What might it look like for you as a follower of Christ on your own or with your family? To realise your gospel ambition to be sent where Christ isn't known. What will it look like in reality? You know, in the 1930s, there were three guys called Fred, missionaries with UFM. They had this kind of gospel ambition in their hearts. They were preparing to take the good news to a a tribe in Brazil called the Caiopo, who'd never heard the gospel before. And so they took some costly initiative. You get a sense of that from a letter written by one of them called Fred Wright. Here's the letter. To whom it may concern, He's writing as he's preparing to go to the tribe. In the event of not turning up again, I wish that those things that belong to my brother, J.E. Wright, be returned to him. They consist of one revolver, one concertina, five medical books called, I think, Household Physician. Give the rest of my kit to those who may, God willing, continue the advance to the Kyopa. Signed, 14th of May, 1935. Off they went. They never came back. They They bore the greatest price that people might hear the good news of the Lord Jesus. Praise God, others follow. Church was established. still there today. But you know, friends, this kind of costly ambition, it is not just something for the mission biographies. It's not just something for previous centuries. This same gospel ambition and costly initiative is being taken by thousands of believers all around the world today, many of yourselves included. What might it look like for you? Maybe I can address those here who've made the UK their home but have moved here from overseas perhaps to study or to work. 
For some of you, it might mean giving up living the dream here in the UK that you have worked so hard to attain. So hard. Maybe returning to your home country to serve where the church might be weaker, where you'll have fewer Christian friends and smaller salaries and maybe even disappointed parents who can't believe why on earth you throw it all away. Being back home but perhaps not feeling quite at home anymore. For others of you, it'll mean going where you've never been. I'll give one example as we draw things to a close. If you're for missionaries who were sent a couple of years ago to the Middle East, this is what costly initiative has been looking like for them in the last couple of years. Career potential in dentistry and engineering given over to the Lord. Not given up. They used their skills in mission work, but climbing the ladder, that potential given over to the Lord. The prospect of a growing bank balance surrendered. All their stuff sold off, given away, or packed in a box. Realising their gospel ambition already has meant goodbyes to friends, goodbyes to their church, goodbyes for the kids with their grandmas and their grandpas. They're not easy. Costly initiative for them has meant trusting the Lord for their two small kids, taking them out of an education system that is world class and a health system that on the whole it works very, very well indeed, into a country recovering from war where security is volatile and support structures are weak. Then, of course, there are the unseen sacrifices, the tears, when separation from family and friends feels too much to bear, the frustrations of life in a new language, the daily beneath-the-surface stress of living cross-culturally, and maybe 10, 20, 30 years down the line even, always being the foreigner in the place where you live. Costly initiative for them as men entering into battle, not knowing how long they'll last on the field, making good gospel plans, not knowing they'll ever come to fruition. Did Paul ever make it to Spain? As he hoped to do? We don't know for sure. We see, friends, the call to preach the gospel where Christ is not known. It is not an easy call to answer. It's not a light ambition to embrace, is it? Yet, friends, do we believe it's worth it? Do we believe it's worth it? That's a big question, isn't it? We've got to have an answer to that question. Do we believe it's worth it? couple I've just been describing, they serve alongside another UFM mission family. It's what the wife wrote a few months back. I've been feeling discouraged, doubting, wanting to give up recently. Results are not exactly obvious to see. The summer has been long and hot. It often feels as though we take one step forward and then a fair few back. That's the reality often of mission work in these kinds of places. But then came these words on another email, just a few days later, incidentally. One of the women in the group may have crossed over from death to life. It's been wonderful to see her heart warmed towards Christ. And so can't we join them in their tears and say, praise God. Praise God. Isn't it worth it? The work of preaching the gospel where Christ is not known, it is not compulsory for everyone, but it is absolutely necessary for some. Maybe there are one or two of you sitting there thinking, I feel... I feel, I feel God's call on my life in this way, but I just could never do that. I could never do that. That is not me. Not strong enough. Friends, God's not looking for strong people. The powers in Him are not ourselves. He's looking for willing people. Ordinary people. Normal people. But He is saved in a wonderful, beautiful way. 
who are willing to go. His power is made perfect in our weakness. Friends, can we pray for these two things in our lives and our church's gospel ambition and costly initiative. These are the things we need to see in our lives if the gospel is to be preached where Christ is not known. So friends, will you make it your ambition to be sent where few have gone before? Or will you commit to go on leading and serving in this church and others like it, taking that costly initiative to send people, having identified them and trained them and invested in them, sending people and supporting people in a manner worthy of the Lord in places where there is little access to the good news of the Lord Jesus. Friends, the harvest is still plentiful and the workers are still few. Let's pray. Father, we hear your word this evening and it's easy perhaps to be overwhelmed. To see the need and just feel totally inadequate for the task. Oh Lord, we thank you that you also tell us elsewhere in the Bible that that's how it's meant to be. That you have us like jars of clay to show the great power of the gospel is in you and not ourselves. Thank you so much that you call us to invest in a kingdom which looks as pathetic as a mustard seed. Yet, Lord, as the seed is sown, we praise you that in the end it seems to be the largest of all the plants in the garden. Thank you, Lord, for laying an ambition before us that we can invest in, that, that we can give our lives to something that will last forever and for eternity. Lord, we pray you'd forgive us for the, the small ambitions that we often obsess over. And Lord, when we look at them in the cold light today, they look, quite frankly, pathetic. Getting to the next stage on the latest video game getting to the next pay band on the salary scale getting the next thing we need for our house because the neighbours have something like that themselves Father we pray you'd help us to have a bigger vision a bigger ambition one that comes from you and not ourselves not the world around us and Lord we pray that you would give us the power and the strength and the trust and the faith to hear your voice and respond and we pray too as we face the, the cost of these decisions Lord we pray that you would, you would help us to trust you that you are the one who says, I'm with you to the very end of the age. Lord, we pray you bless the church family here. Help them in their existing mission efforts. Spur them on, we pray. Pray that you'd raise up other workers from this place and you'd raise up those from this congregation who will gladly, with great joy, and sacrificially send them in a manner worthy of the Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.